We are considering the doctrine of authority that the Bible teaches. Beginning with God, who is the ultimate and infinite authority, He has delegated authority to man over the animal kingdom, and He's delegated authority to men in five spheres of our relationships among ourselves. The first one that Adam met with was his wife Eve. The first one we met with was our parents. So there's two of the five relationships, parent and child, husband and wife. When we enter into a business endeavor, there's masters and servants, according to the Bible terminology. When we form into nations, then there are kings and citizens. And when we come together in churches or congregations, there's prophets or priests or apostles or pastors, depending on what period of time you're looking at. We see that God has ordained all that authority, those five spheres. Not only has He ordained that's how we would come into the world as a child needing parents, or that a man by himself is alone and needs a wife, or that for men to accomplish something in a business way, they need masters and servants, because if everyone tries to be a chief, not very much gets done because there's too much infighting instead of work being accomplished. God set up the five relationships, God ordained the specific offices of those relationships. God ordains and chooses, handpicks them, the men or women that go into those offices. He stirs them up. He provides all their background so that they make the decisions that they make. And they affect our lives greatly. But it's for the government of the world. And when it's done, and it is done, on a daily basis, the world gets along right well. While we think of New York City as a very liberal place on our planet... In, by a number of measures, to jam that many millions of people into such a small space and to know that so much gets done on a daily basis so that they can all work and be productive there, live, eat, have their waste carried away, so much is done. Windows are washed, electricity is supplied to all floors, trash is taken away under the street, everyone gets there by various modes of transportation, So much is done because of authority. It is certainly not done because of freedom. If everyone had the freedom to do what they wanted to, New York City would disappear in a couple of days. Because it's everyone submitting to a whole set of rules for each one of those aspects of infrastructure that take place in a city. It's really quite impressive. When you look at a huge office building and wonder, where does all the junk go that this place produces every day? Where does it go? Where do they get their power? I never see anything. I never see any wires. I don't see any pipes. But it's done because of authority, and it comes from the top down, but we meet with it first from the bottom up, being children. I want to end in just a few minutes with Galatians 6, 7. I don't know how I'm going to get to that verse, but I know where it is hours away from now in my outline that I only have a few minutes to cover. But it's whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You have parents. Most of you have parents that are alive. Many of you are still under the same roof with your parents. If you do not honor them, meaning to treat them very special, and to do kind things for them, and to show respect toward them, then it's going to come back to haunt you when you're a parent and you have children, they're going to give you what you have given to others. This applies to all spheres of authority. 
If you have been a poor employee, I would hate being a master. Because if I was a master after having been a poor employee, what am I going to expect from my employees? And brethren, if you rail against government, which you will never be in a position of reigning in government, then God is going to come after you in other areas of your life. Remember, whosoever resisteth the ordinance of God, resisteth God himself and shall bring upon themselves damnation, according to Romans chapter 13. There are so many examples in the Bible, and literally dozens and dozens or hundreds of verses, describing God's appointment of offices, then the men, raising up the men, stirring up the men, restraining the men, confirming the men, providing unique circumstantial situations for them to be in, to magnify themselves over other men. Jephthah. Jephthah was a bastard because in that family, the father had gone off and visited a prostitute, and Jephthah was the result of a father leaving his wife and leaving the other children and visiting a prostitute. Jephthah was the result. In the Bible, Jephthah is cast out of the house because the rest of the brothers don't want him around because he's a bastard child. So bastard Jephthah is out living away from his family. But God brings along a great enemy, and Jephthah has proven to be a pretty tough guy because he's picked on wherever he goes, even by his brothers. And so the Lord arranges for this battle to come up, and guess what? The brothers and everyone want Jephthah around when there's going to be a war because Jephthah is a good military leader, a strong and courageous man. And so they come and beg for Jephthah. And Jephthah says, well, you haven't treated me very well so far, but if we win the battle... What do you have to offer? You can reign over us. Okay, sounds like a decent deal. And Jephthah becomes judge of Israel, and it's in the Bible, for our learning about how God... That's a lot of circumstances. You might look at it and say, poor boy, he was a bastard child, poor boy. He ended up being the judge. It was the other brothers who lived at home and had mommy's apron tied around them all the time that ended up paying taxes to support Jephthah and his family. The Lord is able to work things out rather interestingly. And the Bible is full of those stories from one end to the other. And that is what there is so much material of and that I have to pass over so much of it. Let us remember that proper submission to authority is also an indirect source of authority. Submission to authority is a source of authority. Now, God has already ordained the authority. But it only works if we submit. If the whole country believed so much in freedom that they wanted to do whatever they chose, then our whole government and our whole society would fall apart. If a marriage, in a marriage, a wife decides that she is going to no longer submit to her husband, the marriage breaks down. It doesn't matter what the husband might want. It doesn't matter what the husband might try to enforce. You can't force real submission. It's a mutual relationship. Israel had to, I've taught this all before, but I want everyone to hear it. It is so important for us to be submissive to all the authorities in our lives. You want to make your parents happy? Be an easy child to be a parent to. Well, how am I an easy child? Obey them, talk to them, let them know what they're doing, keep all their rules, and honor them. Thank them for what they've done for you. Those are things that will bring delight to parents' hearts. Very simply done. And it's what every child ought to do. David was asked by the twelve tribes to be their king. 
Now, God had appointed David to be their king many years earlier when Samuel poured some oil over his head and said, you're the next king of Israel and God is anointing you with this oil by his ordination and him sending me to you. That was Samuel in around 1 Samuel 14. But that didn't make David king. God had ordained the office. God had ordained the man. The man was somewhat in the office. But Israel didn't know it yet. And when King Saul died, you would think, well, that would be it. No, there were ten tribes that still, there, there was some tribes that still wanted to follow Saul's house. So David didn't have the whole nation. And it took them a couple of years to get the whole nation to come together and make an agreement, David, we want you to be our king. See, it takes the submission of a nation for a king to actually take power. You say, well, the king could sick the army on the nation. The army is made up of the nation. There has to be submission for it to work. And if you'll always keep that in mind, it is our submission that makes a society work, or it's an employee's submission that makes a business work, or a child's submission that makes a family work. Once the nation says, David, we want you to be our king, then David has the right, as the head of the army, to use the army to keep the nation in submission. If he behaves himself too onerously, there will be there will reach a point, this isn't justified in the Bible, but it's because of natural men's hearts, he'll reach a point where he loses the citizenship of the nation, they will no longer support them, and there can be a coup d'etat or other mutiny on the parts of the citizens of a nation and throw off that king. So it's by a wise combination of goodness and gentleness that David would practice, because the Bible does tell a king how to be a fair and righteous king, mercy and truth, preserve the throne, taught in the book of Proverbs repeatedly, and then there is submission, and he can enforce that submission by his use of the army. And it's true of all relationships. The happiest marriages, the happiest families, the happiest churches, the happiest businesses and nations are those where they all submit to the authority that God created. Arranged marriages could work very well. They did work very well for thousands of years because women understood their roles. If a woman understands her role, her father can pick a husband for her that she has never met. And they get married, and the man seduces to a lesser or a greater degree that woman inside the marriage. It can work. And it works because the woman understands the authority that my father just made me another man's wife and all my life I have been taught the duties from the God of heaven that I owe toward my husband. You say, but it takes love to make a marriage. No, it doesn't. It just takes love to make a happy marriage. It takes submission to make a marriage. It takes love to make a happy marriage. It doesn't take respect of our president to make an efficient nation. It takes an obedient citizenship. But when the nation chooses to respect and be thankful for the man in the office that God put there, it can be a happy nation. So much can be said. Authority is derived from our conscience toward God and fear of His ordinance rather than our respect or love of some particular ruler. Remember the five spheres of authority and always be asking yourself, am I being consistent in all five? I was asked at break time a very good question. 
And the question was partly prompted by something I said in the first sermon. And that was about the tea parties that are being held across America where people are getting together and not drinking tea so much as they are getting together to pretend that they're patriots like in the formation of our country 230 years ago now. What about tea parties? Should a Christian go to a tea party? Well, that's really easy to answer. For those of you that are masters, you can answer it this way. When I'm away from a job site, do I want my employees getting together and inviting in a union organizer to organize my employees against me into a union? See, the answer is already made. Before I can even finish the example, you said, I don't want to be part of a tea party. Because, see, there is more right for your employees to gather into a union and oppose you and take away the profitability of your company than there is for you to open your big mouth against the government that's on Pennsylvania Avenue. Okay, if you need further help, do you want your wife having a tea party when you go to work in the morning? You get in your car and you drive off to work and your wife goes down the street to another lady's house and they have tea together. They're having a tea party and they sit there and run you down together. That's their form of a tea party about what a nasty husband you are and all of your terrible personal habits and she can't believe that she's married to you. Do you like that kind of a tea party? Well, you don't like that kind of a tea party, so don't like the other kind of a tea party. You say, but if there wasn't, if there weren't tea parties, our government would do anything they wanted to. Are you kidding? Do you, do you really think? Do you really think that they're trembling because there's a few tea parties going on in America? The check on our government is not your tea party. Right. And it's not your ignorance of what goes on in government because you think that you could do a better job. The check on government is God, Amen. the giver of governors and the giver of government, and he's always holding it in check. Surely, Psalm 76.10 says, The wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. There is no government that gets angry against its citizenship and takes away their rights or liberties, whatever those are, that is not controlled by the God of heaven. That is the check. That is the great check, and there are others. How much does God exalt authority in the Bible? Does he call rulers gods with a little g? He does in Exodus chapter 22 and several places in the Psalms. Does he tell wives to reverence their husbands? Is reverence a pretty high word for authority? Why can't he just say, can you get along with your husbands? Does he say to call them, hey bud? What is a wife supposed to call her husband? I mean, Lord is the example given in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is how the Bible exalts authority at all levels. Are children to be allowed to roll their eyes at parents? No, the Bible speaks very harshly against rolling your eyes at your parents. Should we curse the king in our hearts, as long as we don't let it pass our lips, to where we would be seditionous by causing others to hate the government, can at least in the privacy of our bedroom, can we unload about our president? Where does it say it? What book of the Bible? You put a smile on your pastor. Can we, can we make it a big smile? What chapter? Okay. It's a good, it's a, it's a good smile. Chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20. We've been over the verse. But it's a wonderful verse for us to remember. And there are some things that are going on 
in Washington that from a natural standpoint, from a foolish standpoint, we look and we don't like. It could get worse. But are we going to say this rule is more important for me? I know it's from God. This rule is more important than any feelings I have about our government. Ecclesiastes 10.20. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to fulfill Titus 3.1 by using the Bible and reminding you of our duties. Here are the words. And they, they shackle me as much as they do you. Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. So why don't you all have a good thought right now about our president. Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. Those are landlords and lesser rulers than a king. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. See, we don't really be, we, we shouldn't be as concerned about being caught in sedition as we should be concerned about hurting the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ by opening our mouths against government. But remember the first part of this verse, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought. Got it? Things are going to get worse. Others are going to do that. They're going to tell jokes about President Obama. You should not listen to jokes about President Obama. You should walk away from jokes about President Obama. Jokes should not be told about him. The angels in heaven are not telling jokes about President Obama. The angels in heaven don't rail against him. The angels in heaven don't call him names. The Bible teaches us that in 2 Peter chapter 2 and the epistle of Jude. So many examples in the Bible. Even Michael the archangel will not bring a railing accusation against the devil himself. Is that stated in the Bible? That there is respect for the devil himself in the Bible? There, It is there. They don't bring railing accusations against the rulers on earth either. They did not rail against Adolf Hitler because God Almighty had personally handpicked Adolf Hitler and he was perfect for the German people. They wanted him. They loved him during the 30s. They didn't like him as much as in the mid-40s, but they loved him in the 30s. The angels in heaven did not rail against him because he was in a position of power given to him by God Almighty. We cannot list all the reasons that God did that to Germany and to the whole world with the Second World War, but we can trust the God that does things that He doesn't reveal to us. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. You know, He, he's, he knows that we like to, we would like to get to know them. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. What's the enemy of authority in our lives? It's a wicked heart that is proud. It is from pride that we rebel. It is from pride that we want to put others down in positions of authority over us. It's from pride that we don't like to be told what to do. We want to make our own choices. Every every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Have you ever read that in the book of Judges? And what a messed up society it was. And what a messed up society ours is becoming because so many want to do whatever they want to do. If a wife wants to leave her husband, she just leaves them. And so we have a 50% divorce rate. If children don't like their parents, they just leave home. If employees don't like their bosses, they'll strike. They'll quit when they're needed without giving a proper notice. They'll undermine an employer. I won't pay my taxes. 
There's rebellion, and it stems out of pride, and it's an enemy. And it came from the devil himself, who wasn't content with his office, because God was over him. I will be like the Most High. And the condemnation of the devil was his pride. Americans have the worst attitude of all, for we are born, bred, and trained to think that we as individuals have a great whole long list of important rights, and no one ever better step on them. Other nations of the earth grow up with a different attitude. They have a different attitude toward parents, they have a different attitude toward bosses, and they have a different attitude toward government. This infatuation with freedom, what is it? Find it in the Bible. The freedom that I can find in the Bible is found in Romans chapter 6, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's the power of the Spirit of God to live righteously. That's real freedom. To do what you want to do, that is anarchy. That is confusion. That is a dysfunctional society. To do what someone in authority needs you to do, that's organization. That's efficiency. That's productivity. But we have this word that we have pounded into us all the time, that we need to defend our rights. That we have our rights. You know, renters have all these rights. If I don't get what I want in my apartment, then I'm not going to pay my rent, and don't you dare try to throw me out. It's renter's rights. What about the rights of the landlord that invested his capital and took his risk to put an apartment together where you, you're so sorry that you can't afford a house, have to live in his apartment? Don't anyone be offended. I spent years in an apartment because I was just as sorry as you are. The point being that it's a landlord that puts so much at risk. Where are the rights of landlords? It's authority. See, curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. I hate this apartment. When's he going to come in here and paint it? Well, the only reason he needs to paint it is because you're living in it. If you'd take better care of it, he wouldn't have to paint it until next year. The decline of authority. You know, the Bible warns us that even among Christians, authority is going to be on the attack. And it's going to be attacked. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it says, disobedient to parents, that, those are Christian families. Those are those naming the name of Christ who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They deny the authority thereof. And they have disobedient children. God gave dominion over the earth, but men are even crying against that today. They'd rather take care of the little spotted owls in Oregon, even if it means lumberjacks being out of work. There's little enforcement of authority. Corporal punishment is ridiculed at home. It's banned in public use. And so we have authority declining all around us. God warns that wicked men are going to despise government and authority. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2, some of the harshest words in the Bible are reserved for those that talk against government and fight against government. Verse 10. Chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Chiefly. The greatest ungodliness in the world, as it's ranked here by the Apostle Peter, is them that walk after the flesh. Remember I started out by the greatest war we have today in the Second Assembly is First Peter 2.11, is to make war against the lusts of our flesh. What are the lusts of our flesh? Here's one of them, one to fight against those in authority. Whether it's a father or a mother, or whether it's a husband, or whether it's a boss, whether it's a president, or whether it's a pastor. 
Verse 10, chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. They're filthy sexually and they love to rebel. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. I love these words because this is God, the Holy Spirit, telling us how we should think and what the godly description is of men who talk against government. Chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous. They're presumptuous because they're talking and despising something that they are incapable of understanding. Government is too far above you, just like you expect your children to understand that the decisions you make that affect their lives are too far above them. Presumptuous. Self-willed. They want to do things their way. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We should be afraid to speak evil of dignities. There should be fear of the king. Did Proverbs 24, 21 say, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. We should fear the king, but they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Do not joke about our president. Do not joke about our Congress. Do not joke about individual members of our Congress. There might be some that lend themselves to be easy butts of jokes. That doesn't matter. They're in an office that God holds important, and God put them there. And if you don't think very highly of them, it's because you aren't worthy of anything better than that. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Even angels don't do it. But these, back to these wicked men that are presumptuous and self-willed and are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, they're like natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. If you want to fight government, I'm going to tell you who's going to fight on the behalf of government. It's going to be God himself. And then you're going to be destroyed because God is going to be fighting against you for fighting against his appointed ambassadors and ministers here on earth. And I'm not talking about gospel ministers. I'm talking about servants in Washington, D.C. or Columbia, South Carolina or downtown Greenville. All the objections that people make. But what if I have a bad one? Does the Bible deal with what if I have a bad boss? Does it tell you specifically what to do when you have a bad boss? It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. It tells you that that gives you the opportunity to be a real Christian by submitting to a bad boss. Because you ought to do it out of conscience toward God. And the example that's pulled forward is not Joseph. The example that's pulled forward is not Daniel. The example that's pulled forward is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Was he abused when he was here on earth? Was he threatened? Was he reviled? Did he humble himself all the way through the crucifixion and the night of his trial? Yes. He did that to die for your sins. But he also accomplished something else. He gave you an example of how to function on the job when your boss isn't the best. Be thankful you have a job. Be thankful you have a boss. If you didn't have a boss, you don't have a job. I'm under a ruler that doesn't live the way I think he should. So what? What else is new? I can't answer all these. Guyana and red Kool-Aid are next if we submit to authority like you teach. Where? 
have you been? If the followers of Jim Jones had ever read the Bible and ever submitted to the Bible, they wouldn't have followed Jim Jones even a portion or a fraction of how far they did. What were they doing in Guyana? Why did they want to get out of the United States? If they had read the Bible, they'd have been saved from all that trouble. Democracy is the greatest form of government and you're opposing it. Would you find me a book, chapter, and verse for that? I'd like to see where in the Bible that God values the vote of every citizen and where God values democracy and where God values a representative form of government. He established autocratic forms of government because they are by far the most efficient. Whether it was a judge or a king, whether it's a father in a family, whether it's a husband in a marriage, whether it was a high priest over the nation of Israel in religious matters, And on and on we could go. So many want to create these objections. Just submit to the form of government we have. The form of government we have, God has ordained it. You have more than enough in your life to be the proper husband or wife, parent, child, citizen, employee or master, church member. It'll keep you busy your whole life. You don't need to think that God's called you to change government. You're not going to change it anyway. God will change it when He wants to change it, and He hasn't called us to get involved in the changing process. We have more important things to do because we're strangers and pilgrims on earth. We're members of a holy nation. We're just passing through this place. We're thankful for the country that we live in. But our first allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that our capital is on Mount Zion, and its name is the Jerusalem, which is above. And it's got a whole company of angels that are going to protect us. The check of authority, God's the check of authority. He's always the check of authority. He'll restrain any wrath that doesn't praise Him. Ecclesiastes 5.8 says that when you see the resting of justice in a province, you should remember that there's someone higher than the highest. Those are wonderful verses to remember. So when you see something going wrong and government isn't doing something about it, God is going to do something about it. He's just letting it go far enough for Him to do something dramatic about it. He is the check by purposing and approving those in authority and their wrath. God arranges all that. Look at, look at Revelation 17. Revelation 17 and verse 17, speaking of the great whore in the 17th chapter of Revelation, which is pretty easy to understand who it is because the 18th verse tells you. That woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. What great city was reigning over the kings of the earth at the time John wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ? It was the city of Rome. Verse 17, God hath put in their hearts, these are the ten kings of Europe, to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Notice, they're going to submit to the Roman Catholic Church, so it was called the Holy Roman Empire, during the Dark Ages, only as long as God wanted them to. It says it all in that verse. It tells us why they did it, and it tells us how long they're going to do it. Because God had arranged for that. Prayer is a check. Do you want to check our government? Then pray for it. Then pray for God to direct our leaders to make decisions that would be to our advantage and benefit. That's a check against government. Obedience is a check. Because if you obey government, God's going to hear your prayers. If you disobey government while you're praying, you won't be heard. Yielding is a check. 
Ecclesiastes 10.4 If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. You want to slow government down and executing wrath against you, then be a better citizen. Legal recourse is a check if you have an opportunity and you need to use it. You don't want to use legal recourse any more than you want your children writing you a letter and pointing out your faults. How often do you want that to happen? How often do you want a letter from your children telling you that you haven't been doing a very good job of being a parent and they've got a few ideas for you to improve? How often do you want that? Well, that's about how often that you ought to use legal resources against the government. We don't do it until we're forced into it. Did the Apostle Paul appeal to his citizenship as the scourge was about to land on his back? Did he do it on a regular basis just so he could get a bigger handout? No. He did it to save his back. When he was about to be taken by the Jews in court with King Agrippa, he appealed to Caesar so that he could go to court in Rome instead. But he only used it when he was pushed a long way. Did Esther use legal recourse to preserve the Jews in her time? Are you familiar with the book of Esther? Did they pray and beg God to bless their efforts? Did they go in humbly and beg for that government to help them? Yes, there's, a, there's great examples in the Bible, and there are many of them in the Bible. When should a Christian rebel against government? Everybody wants to know, well, when do we rebel? When your life is at stake, at stake and you have to save your life, or the government has told you to go out back and curse Jesus Christ and kiss Buddha. Until then, we do whatever they want. That is what we're supposed to do. Just like you want your children to do whatever you tell them to until you ask them to break a commandment of God. You even want your children to submit to your Christian liberty. Which, in the cases of some fathers, I think the children would say, I don't know how it can be called liberty. But you expect your children to follow your liberty. And so we should follow our governments. If the government wants to give us another number in addition to our social security number so that we can have a double mark of the beast, take it. If they give you another phone number, take it. If they want to put a chip under our skin just so that they can keep track of the population and make sure that the police are in the right place, well, how are you going to object to it from the Bible? The only place that you can object to it is your pride. Or are you, or are you like one of those people that are arguing about Google's street view? It bothers you that Google has taken a picture of the front of your house? Why does that bother you? What sin are you engaged in at your address? The only argument you have is this one. I'm an American, and Americans don't put up with stuff like that. Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to put up with it because there's nothing going on at my address that Google should be able to find against me. And so what if Google has my address? They also have the addresses and houses of just... Seven billion other people. How many times do you think that the board of directors at Google is looking at 507 Summer Green Way and hoping that I might pass by the window and see what color PJs I have on? Listen, why, why do you think those things? So what if they want to put a chip in us and know where every citizen is? So when you go through the grocery store, you don't have to reach for your plastic. You don't have to reach for your FRNs. You just walk out of the door. And everything's applied to your little chip. I mean, everybody that's run a race knows all about those little chips, don't they? They work pretty neat. You can run a race 
And they're going to know exactly when you start, when you cross the starting line and when you cross the finish line and have your time on the course right down to the second because you had a little chip tied to your shoe. This could happen. So what if it happens? The only place it comes from that you would bark against it is rebellion and pride that America foments and promotes and teaches us from the cradle up. Rulers should always get the benefit of the doubt in matters that we don't understand. We want our children to give us the benefit of the doubt. We should give our government the benefit of the doubt. God places obligations on those in authority, but it's not our job to place those obligations there. God has placed those obligations there. We should submit to troublesome rulers, and we'll have them from time to time and consider them as God's providence in our lives. Israel submitted to Egypt, but they cried out to God with groaning. And that groaning came up into heaven. But that groaning didn't come up into heaven in one year, did it? Or not in five years, did it? Now, while it started off very good in Egypt... Israel was 215 years in Egypt. Did they multiply? Did God bless them? Did God have great things in store for them? Yes, He did. Did God show mighty signs and wonders? And did they get a back paycheck? Did they get paid for all those years that they put in building those tombs of Egypt's pharaohs and his royal cities? Yes, they did. Praise the Lord. Trust Him in all these matters. There's so many illustrations in the Bible. Someone will say, but my tax money is being used for sinful ends. Therefore, I shouldn't pay taxes. I cannot pay taxes because they're taking my money and I'm supposed to be a good steward over the money God's given me and they're using it for ungodly ends. Do you really, do you really think that there's anything to that argument? There has never been a government in the history of the world except Israel on a few good days that didn't use tax money for the wrong thing. Uh, Let's let's go to Israel under David. Is that about as good as it gets? Mm -hmm. No, you say Israel under Solomon. Okay, Solomon, do you know what your tax money was doing? It was supporting his 999 wives that he didn't have a right to against the Word of God. So you shouldn't have paid taxes to Solomon. Let's go back to David, since I wanted to start with David. Your taxes paid for him to send a census group throughout the nation of Israel to do an accounting and to count up the entire nation of Israel against the law of God, and it cost 70,000 lives because he sinned against the law of Moses. So you shouldn't have paid taxes to David. Bring me the king that you would have paid taxes to. I mean, Jesus answered this one so easily. He paid taxes to the government that railroaded him through a trial and crucified him on the cross. Amen. And you want to bark against our taxes? But our government supports aborting babies. That government crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Your argument stinks. Right. Your stewardship only goes this far. Writing the check and stapling it to your tax return and signing your name and mailing it. Your stewardship is over. You have given your money in tribute, dues, custom, toll, and everything the Bible says to the government. Now it is their responsibility before God to use it correctly, and they'll be held accountable for how it's used, not you, because God put them in charge of the government's banks and the government's money and the government's revenue, not you. Amen. 
If every citizen had the right to say, well, I'm only going to pay my taxes if the government budget agrees with what I think government should do with their money, how many would pay? The Constitution is king. I've given you your answer to give others, right? You are going to run into people who use arguments outside the Bible. Somebody using an argument like this, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and saying that if you join the social security system, you're making something else your god, that isn't an argument against the social security system. That just shows that a man doesn't know how to use the Bible. Because there's no idolatry involved in it whatsoever. Using the Social Security Administration and its insurance program to provide for you after you retire is not idolatry. So why don't you go use some of the verses in the Bible that deal with civil government? Why not go to the Bible and deal with insurance? Why not go to the Bible and deal with Christians who took advantage of pagan governments and took every cent from them that they could? There's nothing wrong with unemployment benefits. The rest of us are paying premiums into that insurance fund. Our money's unconstitutional. Much of our nation's unconstitutional. Why are you singling out the money? If that money in your pocket's bothering you, give it to me. I'll take it off your hands, and you won't have to worry about that. Do you know why they worry about that? Because they say, I don't have to pay taxes because the money that's circulating in this country is against Article 1, Section 10. So what? The, the, uh, do you know what central bank that Jesus paid taxes to? Anybody know the name of it? The Federal Reserve Bank of Rome. Who do, you, who do you think minted those coins that were jingling in the pockets of the Pharisees and the Herodians when Jesus said, show me the money? Right. I have seen so much time and so many lives ruined and wasted on arguing foolish, ridiculous garbage like this. But I thank God that those who do it end up having their children and their wives argue and fight and rebel the same way. And I've seen it repeatedly, and I haven't seen an exception. There shouldn't be an exception. And what I've seen, or whether I've seen it or not seen, it doesn't matter. It's Romans chapter 13 and verse 2. Those that resist will receive damnation from the God of heaven who will defend his officers at the highest level. And that's our civil rulers. If our money is unconstitutional, why are you carrying it? You know, it's so funny to see people that fight government and how they hate the IRS and all that stuff. Boy, they sure will gather at the mailbox on the day their Social Security check comes. They'll be standing right there waiting for the mailman to pull up to give them that piece of paper that has Federal Reserve notes designated in it, on it, in a numerical sum. Amazing. What, what liars. What hypocrites. All they want to do is save their money and not give it to government so they fight taxes until they need it. Then they collect Social Security. You think you have a right to privacy? Show me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible where you have a right to privacy. If the police believe that there's a crime that's been committed in the neighborhood and someone might be hiding in your house and they want to come into your house, you know we have a government that requires them to have some legal authorization to enter your house. But you shouldn't want to fight them entering your house. What are you hiding in there? Because you're a big, bad American? You should be a good, godly Christian. You wouldn't have anything to hide. Come on in, guys. Let me show you around. There's nothing here. But if there is something here, I want you to find it. 
What if we're forced to the place where we as a church have to get 501c3 approval? Do you know that we have people come and visit us that the first question they ask about our church, or they call us on the phone, we get the phone call, Sherry gets it, I get it. We just read, a, we just read the advertisement of your church in the Greenville News. We'd like to ask you a question. Is your church a 501c3 church? Unbelievable. They don't care what Bible. They don't care if we worship Jesus. They don't care about our ordinances. They don't care about our practice. They don't care about our doctrine. They don't care if we're Calvinist or Arminian. They want to know if we have a 501c3. What is 501c3? 501c3 is you write a letter to the IRS and say, are we tax exempt? And the IRS sends you back a letter and says, yes, you are tax exempt, so that you have a piece of paper that says you're tax exempt. Churches in America don't have to file for 501c3, so we have not done that because it's unnecessary. All you have to tell the IRS as a church is, we're a church. Okay. How many of you have been audited and told that your deductions that you've taken on your tax returns are invalid because we don't have a 501c3? None of you. If the government comes along and says you have to have a 501c3, I hope I'm the first one to sign it. I hope I'm the first one to get one in. Because it wouldn't bother me one bit. I'm not giving one bit of sovereignty from the Lord Jesus Christ to the IRS. What I'm doing is just making sure that we continue to climb up into Caesar's lap, open his shirt, and nurse. Because the Bible says kings and queens will be our nursing fathers and nursing mothers. Do you understand the math? If a man makes $80,000 and is in a 30000 tax bracket, he pays 24000 in taxes. I'm simplifying things. You accountants, please have mercy on me and keep your emails. I know you wouldn't do that. A man makes $80,000 in taxable income and he's in a 30% tax, average tax bracket, state and, and federal combined. He pays 24000 in taxes. If he gives 10%, then that means he paid 8000 to his church, and 30% of that is 2400 So his tax burden of 24000 is reduced by 2400 so he only pays 21600 No, that's the taxes. That's the taxes because he gave 8000 to the church. He gave 8000 to the church, but it only cost him 5600 who contributed the other 2,400? Uncle Sam, the IRS. Praise God. I am not trying to be crude when I talk about opening Caesar's shirt. And I hope no one gets offended by that. But it's because the Bible said there are nursing fathers and nursing mothers. It's wonderful. And the more children you have, there was a brother speaking at break time that's so thankful because he just... Brother actually feels bad that he paid so little for the year 2009 in taxes. He's got a bunch of children. I can say that freely because that includes most of you. It's just a great blessing. Thank you, Lord. If they want to tell us we need a piece of paper to prove that they're going to, that they're going to subsidize our church, if they want me to ask for permission for them to subsidize our church, I hope I'm the first church to get that in the mail to them. Just to settle it for all of you that might be wondering if we would ever be a 501c3 church. I like to stay informed so I read insider information. You have never been in the same room with insider information. 
Insider information is meddling with them that are given to change. Insider information that you think is insider information because you have no security clearance. And I want to tell you one thing for absolutely sure. The men writing you have less than you have. It is so ridiculous to even use those words about insider information. If it was inside and you're on the outside, why do you think you're reading it? Because you are the most incredibly gullible and stupid person possible. You do not know what's going on in our government. You probably wouldn't want to know what's going on in our government. And that's why it's kept from you, just like you keep things from your children. If you read that stuff, you're lying to yourself. You're meddling with them that's given to change and God is going to judge you severely. The information is a lie because it's not inside at all. While you're reading that, I want to tell you what your children are doing. They're down in a room conspiring against you with their insider information on what they're going to do against you in your family. Make your choice. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I want to make my choice that I'm going to submit to government as far as I can, even though the Lord knows I have as rebellious and as proud of a spirit as anyone sitting in here. But I want to submit to our government. I want, listen, I'd call for another moment of silence right now to have a good thought for President Barack Obama. He might have got to the highest office in our land by a different route than most men have got there, but he got there. Do you know why he got there? Because the Lord has his, had his angels protecting him and taking him all the way there. And they may have been lying spirits from time to time because the Lord has used them in his employment, hasn't he? With rulers in his own nation. But the Declaration, the Constitution were built in the Bible. Print them off for me and bring them to my house and please highlight all the Bible verses in them. But there's conspiracies everywhere that we need to fight or they're going to take over the country and the whole world and we'll be pacifist babies and lose our children to a concentration camp. You're forgetting the God of heaven. Did He take care of Israel and Egypt? Did they all get to leave together? Now isn't that the craziest thing you ever heard in your life? That three million people got to walk out of a nation and they were the major labor force of that nation? And just walk out one day with so much gold and stuff being stuffed in their pockets that they build a temple to Almighty God just a few years later? Did did, uh, Israel do okay in Babylon? Did they all come home? How was that temple built? When Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, who paid for it? These people just to uproot from Babylon and move all the way back to Jerusalem about 500 miles. How do you make a living? They were supported by the government of Persia, more than once. The Lord is able to take care of you. Do you know what He said to do to the Isra- for the Israelites to do when they were in Babylon? When they were in Babylon, captive, 500 miles from home, their farms destroyed, their city razed to the ground, R-A-Z-E-D. What did He tell them to do? Pray for the peace of Babylon. For in her peace, you'll have peace. Marry your children, plant your vineyards, And tip a cup to the Lord. I'll be with you and bless you. It's obedience. It's submission to authority. You worship God when you are kind and respectful in your speech to President Barack Obama because you are showing kindness and respect to the man God put over this nation. And if you do that, God will bless you. God will bless your authority. God will give you strength for your task. God will bless your hands to war and your fingers to fight. And God will submit your wife and your children under you. 
Do you know who the example of it is in the Bible? It is David. David in Psalm 144 said God taught his hands to war and his fingers to fight and that it was God that submitted his people under his feet. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because when David was under Saul and David could still feel the ointment on his head for years and Saul tried to kill him repeatedly and God put Saul in David's power where on two occasions David was within arm's reach of Saul and Saul did not know David was there and David had cut nephews beside him that would have gladly killed King Saul and said, look at God has put him in your hand to kill him right now. Do you know what David said? I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Amen. Now, was he talking about a virtuous man? Was he talking about a godly man? Was he talking about a wise man? No, he was not. He was talking about a profane man. But he was in an office that God had given. And that is what made David great. Because that came back in David's life. You say, but David had some rebellious children. You can't figure out where that came from? It's some other problems in David's life where he didn't honor honor God's laws. But as far as honoring a king, David did it. And so when David was king, his people united under him. What, a, what wonderful illustrations there are. Conspiracies. Where did where, you learn that word? Can you spell it? If I was to have you stand right now, could you spell it? Where did you learn it? You think the whole world's just this giant conspiracy? Why don't you worry about the only conspiracy that God cares about? Right. It's the conspiracy of the devil to destroy your soul, and he has inside information and an insider to help him. Your own heart. That is the war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Every conspiracy you can tell me about, you're going to have to give me a name and an address of some place where it's taking place. Our warfare is spiritual. We wrestle against principalities and powers in heavenly places. In an angelic world, we wrestle against the devil and his angels that went with him in rebellion against God. And how do we fight them? By memorizing the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, or reading insider information? How do we fight them? We put on the whole armor of God. What is the whole armor of God? It's truth. It's righteousness. And what activity are we engaged in? It's praying. And we take up the Word of God. And we hold up the shield of faith. Meaning, I don't care what's going on in the world, God's going to take care of me. And I don't care if you throw fiery darts at me, devil, the Lord is going to take care of me. I don't care what happens to this nation, you're going to take care of me, Lord. Did God take care of Esther when she was captive in the Persian Empire as an orphan? Did she get a decent part-time job? Did her husband ever let her go to the spa? Her husband required her to go to the spa for 12 months before he ever went on the first date with her. How would you like that, ladies? 12 months at a spa. Now, this is no ordinary spa. You've got to go read about its treatment in this spa. You know, you got to drop 150 bucks, and what do they do? Give you a Coke, give you a short massage, trim your toenails and paint them red and send you home? I mean, these ladies were bathed in perfumes, and it tells us in odors for a year. How's that for a spa treatment before a date at his expense? You know why I say that? She was an orphan girl, taken captive. Do you know what Americans would have done? They would have found other orphans and other Israelites that had been taken captive by the Persians and formed the Israelite underground. 
They'd have formed the Israelite underground. They'd have used shortwave radios. They'd have used their little word processors and texted each other about the insider information, and they would plan the overthrow of the Persian government. But do you know what Esther did? She sent her husband a little note and said, Can I have lunch with you tomorrow? She went and she went in and asked him. And she couldn't get her courage up the first day, and with what wisdom she waited till the second day, and she said, I have a little problem. He was I'm willing to pay him. I wonder what this little problem is. Well, there's somebody that wants to kill me and all my relatives. Who in the world wants to do that? This other guy that I invited to our lunch. (laughs) Isn't that the Bible story? Are there eight chapters in the Bible? The twelve chapters. Orville. How many chapters in history? Who can get there first, Orville? Oh, no. It's ten. Isn't that a wonderful story? Is, is there, have you ever been around people who would have been talking about the underground and we would have got together and just hated and said, what can we do to overthrow this government? I'm not going to pay taxes to the Persian government. Do you know what they did to our city? Do you know what they did to our capital? I'm not going to pay taxes to this stinking government. God raised up Persia. Do you know who their first king was of the Persians? Do you know his name? Cyrus. Did God know who put him, did he know who put him in office? Amen. Did he know why he was in office? Yes. Did he fulfill his destiny very quickly? What was his destiny? All you Jews that want to go home, go home. I'll make sure that those on the other side of the river pay for it. Get a house of God built to your God because he's told me to build him a house. And I want to build him a house. How could you ever fear any government? These are captives 500 miles from home. And God raises up a man, a pagan, Cyrus the Persian. And there's whole chapters written about him in the Bible. I want you to remember that when you read Isaiah 40 through 50, and you are reading all those verses about God saying, I can tell things, and be, I can tell things that are going to happen before they happen. And when you read about God's going to get himself glory and God's going to raise up a man, those verses are not talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Those verses are talking about Cyrus the Persian. It was a stupendous event in the history of the world, and God raised that man up for the salvation of Israel. Later on, Ahasuerus, also known as Artaxerxes and Xerxes, those are titles of officers. Listen, you know that, don't you? We had them just recently until 50 years ago in Iran, which is the former Persian Empire. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah had to appeal again for more help to be able to continue to build Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is there, and he's sad for the first time in the service of the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, what's wrong, Nehemiah? Nehemiah prayed, Lord, help me to find favor in his eyes. And he said, my, my city and my temple is not being built like it should be. Can I go back and help them? Sure. But you know what the neat thing is about that passage? And yep. There's parentheses. The queen sitting beside him. That wouldn't be there except for one person. Do you know her name? Yes. Esther. Praise the Lord. Amen. The, the Lord takes care of his people.
My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. They go together because the Lord set up the king. You honor the Lord by honoring the king. That's why it says in Romans 13, do it for conscience sake. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. Meddle not with them that are given to change. There's tea parties and other things going on. They're going to, you're going to see it on the internet. You're going to have people approaching you that are going to be speaking against our government. The only speaking you need to do about government is to be praying more to our Heavenly Father to make sure He keeps ruling this nation and doing it for the benefit of His people. Don't meddle with them that are given to change. Because the words in the following verse, which I didn't get to send out until next month, is verse 22. And here are the horrible words of Proverbs 24, 22. For their calamity, there is a plural pronoun, for their calamity shall rise suddenly. And who knoweth the ruin of them both? Another plural pronoun. Now, how do we have a plural pronoun twice in verse 22 when in verse 21 it was my son, singular, fear thou the Lord and the king and meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly and who knoweth the ruin of them both. Let's thank good and happy thoughts toward our president, good and happy thoughts toward our Congress, thankful thoughts. We can mourn about any sin that they endorse, any sin that they legislate, any sin that they protect. We can mourn and beg God and ask for him to forgive our nation. But let's be tax-paying, respectful citizens of our nation. This is what the Bible teaches us. There's incredible promises attached, even starting with that first relationship you meet with in life. If you honor your father and your mother, what's the little cookie that the Lord held out for you to do that? What's the carrot to honor your father and your mother? A long life? And a good life. A long life and a good life for keeping something that should be obvious? That's the Lord our God. I wonder what kind of a cookie He's got for us if we'll obey our civil government. He will bless us and keep us. Look at these men. Was Daniel obedient? Did Daniel apply himself in his studies? Do you know that Daniel had to enact and enforce and legislate and interpret Babylonian law for 70 years of his life? Do you think those were all virtuous, righteous laws? He wasn't responsible for their origination. That nation was. Do you think Joseph, did he protect the priests of the pagan religion of Pharaoh? Yes. Did he do it well? Did the Lord take care of him? Where was he buried? In the promised land. Where is he right now? In the promised land above. And we're going to see him soon. The Lord takes care of his own. He'll take care of us. Let's love authority. The Bible says in Romans 13:1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall bring upon themselves damnation. We don't want that at all. Let us be a holy body that is committed to being good citizens of our country and let it show in our conversation, our thoughts at home and when we're outside of this assembly. And may the Lord have mercy upon us and bless us in all five relationships to prosper and accomplish all that he is able and willing to do for us. Amen.